Welcome to Kids Considered, a podcast from UC Davis Children's Hospital, where two pediatricians discuss children's health topics. I'm Dr. Lena Vanderlist. And I'm Dr. Dean Blumberg. You know, we're recording this in May, and the first week of May in Sacramento, it was really hot. (laughs) And it just reminds us that we're going to be heading into summer, and we really start need to think about, you know, what it's going to be like in the heat. Oh my gosh, yes. And we're going into Memorial Day weekend when we're recording this, and it's supposed to be like 105 here in Sacramento. So as it gets hotter, we thought it would be really helpful to talk about some heat safety tips for children. And today we have Dr. Shana Kay. She's a pediatric resident here at UC Davis joining us to discuss the importance of heat safety. So Dr. Kay, thank you so much for joining us on Kids Considered today. I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So tell us why this is such an important topic and why heat illness in kids can be so serious. Well, with climate change, our communities are seeing more extreme weather climates, and this includes extreme heat. High temperatures can cause children to become sick in a couple of different ways. Heat stroke is the leading cause of non-crash vehicle-related deaths in children under 15. Wow. So how hot is too hot? I mean, when should parents really be worried about heat-related illness? The National Weather Services advises that at a heat index at or above 90 degrees Fahrenheit, this will pose a health risk to both children and adults. So I've heard of the heat index, but I have to confess that I really don't know what it, <laughs> what it actually means or how they calculate it. So Dr. Shana, can you explain the heat index to us? Sure, of course. Uh, the heat index is what the temperature feels like to the human body uh, when relative humidity is combined with the air temperature. When the body gets too hot, it begins to perspire or sweat to cool itself off. This has important considerations for the human body's comfort. It's also known as the apparent temperature. Yeah, and we know that here where we live, we have many days that exceed a heat index of 90 degrees Fahrenheit for sure. Um, And so when the heat index is high, it's not necessarily the same risk in adults as it is in kids. Is that correct? You're right. Uh, Children are actually at higher risk of heat reaction because a child's body heats up three to five times faster than an adult's body does. Why does that happen? There are several reasons, actually. Um, First, children have a greater surface area relative to their body mass or or weight. Uh, This allows them to absorb proportionally more heat compared to adults. And when they're active, they produce more heat. And then children also have a lower rate of sweating, so they can't cool down as quickly as adults. Well, that's for sure, right? Because adults sweat a lot more than kids. <laughs> so let's talk about the different um, types of reactions that your body can have to hot temperatures, from the least severe going to the most severe. Absolutely. So the least severe reaction is something called heat cramps. This is defined as muscle cramps, typically in the calves, thighs, or stomach. They may feel like tightness or spasms, and sometimes you can also feel hand cramps. There's usually no fever, and drinking water and stopping the activity will resolve the cramps, and all symptoms should go away in a few hours. The next most severe is heat exhaustion. Uh, These symptoms include sweating, nausea, and pale skin. Children may have a mild fever, which is about 100 degrees to 102 degrees Fahrenheit. And sometimes your child may have weakness, feel dizzy, or have an episode of syncope or fainting. 
These symptoms are caused by profuse sweating and dehydration. And because heat exhaustion can progress to heat stroke, which is the most severe heat reaction, it's important to stop activities and be seen by a medical provider. And then the most serious reaction to hot temperatures is something called heat stroke or sunstroke. This is your body's breakdown in its ability to regulate the internal body temperature. This illness includes symptoms such as hot, flushed skin with high fever greater than 105 degrees Fahrenheit. About half of children with heat stroke will actually not sweat. And heat stroke can cause confusion and shock, which is a life-threatening state that occurs when oxygen and nutrient delivery are insufficient to meet tissue needs. So it's really important to be seen by a medical professional promptly. Yeah, I mean, I think that if you're seeing a kid with heat stroke or sunstroke, you're calling an ambulance probably if it's like out on a soccer field or something like that. Um, whereas some of those first ones that you talked about, the cramps or or even exhaustion, you may be able to manage as a as a parent on your own, um, or you know, go into your primary care physician's office. So of course, it's scary to think about those reactions. And what are the settings where kids are going to develop those type of heat reactions? All three heat reactions are caused by exposure to high temperatures. So anytime you are doing any exertional activity, so gardening, hiking, sports training camps that make your body's heat production greater than your body's ability to lose heat, which then ultimately leads to higher temperatures inside your body. And then dehydration is also a contributing factor to heat reaction. Sweating is one of our body's natural cooling mechanisms, but when sweat loss exceeds fluid intake, our bodies become dehydrated or depleted of fluids. So it seems like this really highlights the importance of having a lot of fluids on hand so that you can stay hydrated during these very hot days. Absolutely. Always carrying a water bottle or having some kind of fluid with you is really important. And it takes time for your body to acclimate to hot climates. Um, Here in Sacramento, we typically have several heat waves throughout our summer and early fall, but it can actually take eight to 10 days for you to become accustomed to these high summer temperatures. So for the first heat wave of summer, it's really important to remind yourself of the effects of heat reactions. This could also be applicable to someone who's going on vacation to a new or hot and humid climate. Right. That's a great reminder that it takes a few days for our bodies to get adjusted. Um, So I think it's pretty easy to imagine someone out hiking for several hours in like the direct sun or at football practice where they're wearing all of their pads, getting um, heat exhaustion or heat stroke. But what are some of the other like less obvious places a child could develop heat exhaustion or heat stroke? That's a great question. Being inside a hot car is also a risk factor for heat stroke. This is especially important for infants and babies. Do not leave your baby or any child in a hot car when you're running errands. The temperature inside a car can heat up and become hotter than the outside temperature. Did you know that the inside of a car can increase 19 degrees in just 10 minutes and keep rising in temperature so hot that it can actually cause death? That's fast. Yeah, very fast and very scary. And leaving the window cracked or having the air conditioning uh, on prior to turning the car off doesn't do very much to keep the car cool once the car is off. And there are actually laws to 
help prevent child heat stroke deaths from being left in cars. Uh, For example, here in California, a child less than seven years of age cannot be left alone in a vehicle unless supervised by someone who's at least 12 years old. But truly, it's not safe to leave any child, regardless of age, including a 12-year-old, in a car alone for any length of time. Yeah, and that's an important reminder because, you know, tragically, we hear about a case, like uh, every year we hear about cases um, where an infant or a small child was mistakenly left in a car on a hot day, and, you know, and, and they, they can die from that. Um, so it's also not okay to leave pets in cars on hot days because this can affect them also. And Dr. Lena, I remember you did a TV interview several years ago, and you, you had a good tip for how to, um, how to prevent that. Do you Did remember I? what it was? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I just, just I think I just said it's absolutely not okay, and that you don't you don't remember it, and so you know, occasionally, of course, if you see a, a child or a pet that looks like it's in distress in a hot car, um, call call someone, call nine one one, get them out of that car, um, I think you break said the some... window if you have to. <laughs> yeah. I thought you said something like put your purse or your wallet. Like, oh, with, well, that was for kids. That was for kids, kid. not pets. Yeah, oh, not like pets. if you okay. if you leave your your purse in the back seat, like next to the the infant seat, um, the car seat, then of course we're just more programmed sometimes to remember that we need to like grab our cell phones, right. and so then it's right there with the kid. Um, yes, that was that was one of the tips, not necessarily for the pet, but for the kid. Uh huh. And so I think we get a lot of questions from parents of infants and newborns about how to keep them cool in the summertime. Um, and what kind of tips do you have besides investing in a really great air conditioning unit for your house? <laughs> Uh, Very important here in Sacramento to have good air conditioning. But other hot temperature-related tips for babies is to dress them coolly. So don't bundle them in blankets. They should be wearing a similar number of layers as you are. Um, They can overheat if they're wearing too many clothes or snuggled down in too many layers. Um, And then you're right about air conditioning. Being indoors without air conditioning during heat waves is another risk factor for heat stroke. So what happens if you live somewhere and you just don't have air conditioning or you have air conditioning, but it breaks during a heat wave and, you know, other people's break. And so the repair people like, you know, just can't get to it in time. Absolutely. This actually happened to one of my friends, I think, last summer um, and her family house air conditioning wasn't working in the middle of the summer and um, they actually had to leave their house and go find uh, live in a hotel for um, a, a week because it's it is so truly unsafe um, to be in a in a home without air conditioning during these heat waves um, but finding you know if if it's temporarily not working um, finding an air conditioned space uh, like a library for the peak uh, heat hours of the afternoon can be helpful Um, But really making a plan with your family for accessing a cool location uh, is really, really important. Now that we have a better understanding of these different types of heat reactions and what situations put our kids at risk for developing them, um, what can parents do to prevent? So we talked about some of the strategies like AC and and cool clothing, but what, what do they do to treat them if their kid starts exhibiting symptoms of these heat reactions? Great question. So we hinted at this a little bit earlier, but hydration is really, really important. So number one care advice tip is to drink lots of fluids. 
all symptoms of heat reactions respond to fluid replacement. So giving a sports drink or electrolyte-containing fluid is actually extra beneficial because these drinks have water, salt, and sugar, which can be helpful um, for the body. Um, and in terms of amounts, uh, for teenagers uh, doing fluid repletion, you start with three cups of fluid, which is about 24 ounces. And then every 15 minutes for the next one to two hours, you're giving another cup of fluid. Uh, for smaller children, school-aged children, uh, you start with two cups of fluid, which is about 16 ounces. And then every 15 minutes uh, for the next one to two hours, you're giving an additional six ounces of fluid. And how can you tell, how can you monitor children to see if they're drinking enough fluids? Your child's urine will be a good indication of if they are hydrated or not. If the urine color is dark, it means they're dehydrated. Clear or light yellow urine means your child is drinking adequate fluids. And if your child is ready for it, you can offer some salty snack foods, um, such as potato chips or pretzels. Um, and there uh, historically had been some recommendations about giving salt tabs for electrolyte replacement, but these are not recommended anymore. They actually slow the absorption of water and can cause vomiting, which then further will de dehydrate a child. For heat cramps, resting and hydration are really the mainstays of treatment. Um, and then for heat exhaustion, you really need to take your child out out and remove them from the heat. Um, once they're in a cool uh, place, lay them down with their feet elevated. And undressing them except for their undergarments will allow more body surface area to give off heat. Um, you can give them a sponge bath with some cool water. And if your child starts shivering, this is an indication that the water that you're using is too cold. So it sounds like we should avoid the ice bath because that'll definitely be too cold. <laughs> yeah, too much too cold. Mm -hmm. I've also seen some coaches or other people um, like I have this like image burned into my mind of like on a really hot day, uh, an athlete getting like ice packs to like under the armpits and like in the groin. Um, does that typically cool the body faster? Great question. Uh, coaches and athletes actually started doing this with the idea that the um, the groin and the armpit are some of the locations of the bigger blood vessels in the body. So if you cool the large blood vessels with the ice packs and the groin and the uh, armpits, then it will help circulate cool blood to other parts of the body, which eventually then lowers the overall body temperature. Um, and this thing that they were doing out in the field and uh, in an outside hospital situation was replicating what medical providers do uh, when they in inject cooled intravenous fluids into the body. But there's actually mixed consensus on the benefits compared with the risks of both of these methods, both the cooled IV fluids and the ice packs to ultimately cool the body. And then there were also studies that compared placement of the ice packs in the groin like you were saying, Dr. Lena, um, and the armpits compared with other places. So just like to the face or to the chest and abdomen. And they actually said that putting the ice packs in the groin or the armpits are not more beneficial than doing just general cooling. So using misting fans, draping the patient in a cold towel, um, things like that are just as, just as helpful. Great to know, because that could be a little bit uncomfortable with the right. ice pack in the groin. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so let's say a child does suffer from heat 
um, illness, and so they're really hot. I mean, would, is there any advantage to give them like fever-reducing medication to bring down their temperature? Great question. You know, a parent is going to be very worried if their child has a temperature greater or, or at 105 degrees. That's incredibly hot and going to want to do everything in their power to reduce this fever. But unfortunately, uh, the elevated temperatures do not respond to antipyretics or anti-fever medications such as Tylenol or Motrin. Um, but what does work is drinking cool liquid um, or placing your child in a cool bath or shower for five minutes. Um, water temperature is very important. So like I mentioned before, you do not want to induce shivering. The water temperature should be comfortable for the child, but below the temperature of the body. Uh, and this ultimately will help bring your child's internal temperature down. Yeah. So all this talk about heat illness, and I know a lot of parents are going to be like, oh, I'm not letting my kid outside in the summer. Um, I don't want them to get this. But of course, as pediatricians, we know that um, active play and outdoor play is so important. So what tips can we do to make sure that parents can get the kids outside safely this summer? Absolutely. We do not want to discourage kids from being kids and playing outside and uh, enjoying their summer uh, activities. So my primary recommendation would be to encourage drinking lots and lots of fluids. Kids and teens should be drinking water about every 30 minutes um, and taking about eight ounces every time they stop to drink. Um, and regarding the question of sports drinks, typically they don't offer any advantage over water. But if you are exercising or do, doing any other kind of exertional activity for longer than one hour, you can replace one sports drink for every eight ounces of water you're drinking. So kind of alternating every half hour drinking eight ounces of water, eight ounces of sports drink, eight ounces of water, eight ounces of sports drink. Yeah, I think that the big takeaway is to maybe get some sports drinks and then have a big water bottle that you, you know, bring around with you and always have it refilled and go to the water fountain frequently. And I know you can't see Dr. Lena right now, but she's like demonstrating that she has a big <laughs> I have my wa water, I have my bottle. water bottle. It's not that big, but I find that it's easier for me to drink when I have a straw. It's just a weird thing. Like it's more fun or something. <laughs> and so I like to have a straw water bottle because I notice I drink more water. I think that's a good tip, too, that, you know, if you want to encourage children to drink water, make sure you have a nice water bottle for them, the kind that they want and the model that they like. Yeah, that could be exactly. a fun activity, taking your kid out to pick out their summer water bottle for the summer or decorating it with stickers that they like um, to help them own the task of drinking water so you're not nagging them to keep drinking or don't have a water bottle that isn't cool. So, Dr. Shana, tell us about clothing and how, how children can dress to keep cool. Absolutely. Uh, wearing light clothing can also be helpful. Um, and then if your child's t-shirt gets sweaty or wet from water activities, so um, they're running through the sprinklers or they're at a sports uh, camp and get really sweaty, have them change their clothes. Um, as it wouldn't be beneficial to them to be in a, on, in a wet t-shirt uh, for too long. Now, what about children who are participating in organized sports? So they often have these scheduled practices, and some coaches may be very rigid about attendance and the certain drills that they do. Even if it's a hot and humid conditions, they still may say, we got to go ahead and do the practice or have the game. Right. You hear about those two-a-day football practices in the middle of the summer, and um, it's really important if your teen is on a 
sports team to talk with their coaches about practice during heat waves. So arranging practice times to be early in the morning or after the sun goes down is helpful to not be exercising in peak heat hours. And uh, our uh, governing body, the American Academy of Pediatrics, put out guidelines in 2011 on how young athletes can safely practice their sport while preventing heat illness and injury. And some of these recommendations include modifying activity given heat conditions, providing rest periods between same-day contests, limiting participation of children who have had recent illnesses or have risk factors that would reduce their heat exercise tolerance, um, and most importantly, develop and having an emergency action plan in place in case an athlete does fall ill. Mm -hmm. I think this is a really great point because the majority of kids that I have seen in the office after having like a heat exhaustion episode is usually the result of sports practices um, that maybe aren't taking some of these guidelines into consideration. So speaking of coming into the doctor's office, what are some guidelines that parents can use that can help them know if they need a little bit more help than what can just be managed at home. So if your child has muscle cramps longer than four hours, uh, if they are vomiting or they're not tolerating fluids by mouth, if they have a fever above 104 degrees Fahrenheit or they're confused, they need to be seen by a physician. And always, if you're ever concerned about your child, never hesitate to call your doctor. Just remember, we want our kids to be kids, play outside during the summer and, and just be safe doing it. And I know some of my favorite memories as a kid were coming home from summer camp, all sticky with sweat and sunscreen. And, and we want kids these days just to have those same great experiences too. Yeah, absolutely. So let's summarize some of the main points protecting children from heat-related illnesses. Kids are at higher risk of being affected by hot weather than adults are, and the danger is increased when the heat index is above 90 degrees Fahrenheit or 32 degrees Celsius for our European friends. Risks to children include heat cramps, heat exhaustion, and most severely, heat stroke. Never leave children in cars when running errands when it's hot. The car heats up much faster than you'd expect. And drinking lots of fluids can help prevent heat-related illness, and wearing light clothing helps as well. Also, moving outdoor exertional activities to cooler parts of the day is safer. If children have muscle cramps longer than four hours, vomiting and not tolerating fluids, or fever above 104 Fahrenheit, then they need to be seen by a physician. I hope the information about heat-related illness is helpful for keeping you and your family safe this summer. And we would like to thank Dr. Shana Kay for joining us on Kids Considered today, although Dr. Dean and I take full responsibility for any errors or misinformation. And that reminds me of a joke. <laughs> Let's hear it. Okay, so which is fastest, heat or cold? Um, Which? Heat is faster because you can catch a cold. <laughs> <laughs> That's a decent one. Yeah, I'll give I it like a. I'll give it. A, I'll give it a five out of ten. <laughs> uh -huh. Have Have either of you ever experienced heat cramps or dehydration or needed to like get IV fluids or anything like that? I think people know that I am like the most unathletic person ever, and I'm also very cautious. So I'm going to go with no for me. What about you, Doctor Shana? <laughs> 
I have had heat cramps a couple of times um, playing soccer in the summer and going to tournaments and things like that. And then specifically, I climbed Half Dome uh, one summer, and it's a very long hike, uh, and we did not bring enough water with us. It's a 12-hour hike, uh, and so at the end, I definitely had heat cramps. But drinking lots of water felt much, much better in just even a half an hour. So that's the Half Dome hike in Yosemite. Yes. So you 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 hiked from Yosemite Valley, all the day hike up and back, yeah. huh? Mm-hmm. That's a pretty rigorous hike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that wraps up this episode of Kids Considered. You can find more information on our website, kidsconsidered.ucdavis.edu. Follow us on Twitter at Kids Considered and Instagram at Kids Considered. If you have feedback on this show or topics you would like us to discuss in the future, we would love to hear from you. Please call us. Our number is 916-915-3388. Or email us at kidsconsidered at gmail.com. Please rate us on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we hope you will join us for our next podcast. Kids Considered is sponsored by UC Davis Children's Hospital. 